0: I got to the philosophy part and he stops and says, Mike, I want everyone, we've got an incredible mission. It's audacious. It's big. It's bold. It's all those things, those buzzwords. And it's going to be hard. I want to know the people in the room and I want us to know each other. And I want us to drill down to get to the truth of who we are.
1: Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Menzion, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders in this forum to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Menzion. Welcome to the ultimate guide to partnering I'm Vince Menzione, your host my very special guest and my gift to you at the end of this very different year is to share a pretty incredible conversation with someone I respect and hold in very high regard Dr. Michael Gervais Dr. Michael Gervais is a world-renowned high-performance psychologist and industry visionary. Over the course of 20 years working with world-leading performers, Dr. Gervais has developed a psychological framework that allows people to thrive in pressure-packed environments. His clients include the NFL Seattle Seahawks, countless Olympic medalists, MVPs from every major sport, world record holders, internationally acclaimed music artists, and corporate leaders. Michael is the host of the popular Finding Mastery podcast that explores the psychology of some of the world's most extraordinary thinkers and doers. He's had an amazing range of guests, from Satya Nadella to best-selling author Brene Brown to NBA coach Steve Kerr. Michael and NFL coach Pete Carroll founded Compete to Create, an online and live masterclass for the mind. They have worked with more than 30,000 employees at Microsoft alone on the mental skills and strategies to unleash one's potential. While I was at Microsoft, I was privileged to be part of one of the very first teams to apply Michael and Pete's work. In fact, the work that we did with Michael preceded the work that he did with Satya Nadella's leadership team, which was featured in the book, Hit Refresh. I invited Michael to the podcast because I am a student and I've recognized that many of the fundamentals and principles that he teaches specifically apply to and are first principles of successful partnering. There's a lot to unpack during this conversation. Michael was extremely generous with his time, and in fact, we spent almost two hours in conversation. And because of that, I'm releasing this interview as a two-part series. I hope you listen, and I hope you enjoy the second part of my interview with Dr. Michael Gervais. So you work with a lot of high-performance organizations, Microsoft being one of them, where we both have done some work together. And when you work with an organization, particularly, let's talk a little bit about maybe some of your experiences with Satya and his leadership team. When you were working with our organization, you were just getting started with Satya's leadership team. In fact, you were getting ready for your first big meeting, and you got all these people that were running, you know, multi-billion dollar businesses maybe aren't on the same page, maybe not aligned. How do you set the tone for that? How do you then say this is what success is going to look like? This is that brief moment what success looks like? How do you condition it within the organization?
0: Well, I think part of that that leadership team what is and was full of alpha competitors, you know, like highly intelligent, committed to growth, sometimes committed to their own growth at the cost of others, and some were all in for the shared growth. And so how do you set the tone? Really, Satya is the one that needed to do that. And so there was an eloquent passing of the baton when he, after he introduced me. And there was a moment, and this is in his book, so I'm not sharing something out of turn here, but there was a moment where his name of his book is Hit Refresh. If you haven't read it, like I think He's on to something deep. And so it's like page five of his book. He says, when we sat down and we did this work and it was like, I think 15 of his direct reports and I got to the philosophy part and he stops and says, Mike, I want everyone, we've got an incredible mission. It's audacious, it's big, it's bold, it's all those things, those buzzwords and it's gonna be hard. I want to know the people in the room and I want us to know each other and I want us to drill down to get to the truth of who we are. And then he goes, I don't care, Mike. I, there's a lot more that that you've got on our agenda today, you know, all these other mental skills. I want to spend real time here. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of a material, me in that day and them together to spend the, the the white space to get crystal clear on their philosophy and then to have the courage and the vulnerability to share it with the other alpha competitors. And then to double click and calibrate like, what did you mean by that? And, you know, that was a, I think that's a powerful moment for that team.
1: So did you work on individual personal philosophy first, or did you try to create a philosophy for the team?
0: We started with the individuals and Satya was already down the path of the value of mindset. So here's the idea of mindset We call it growth mindset, call it anything that you want. You put any adjective in front of the word mindset, competitive mindset, growth mindset, artistic mindset. He was already down the path of the value of mindset. And what mindset means is a particular way that you are approaching something when that something could be life work or home life or whatever, right? So there's a, he was already down the path of the value of psychology. And here's the thing about fill in the blank mindset is that it's a cool concept, artistic mindset, creative mindset, growth mind, great concept. But to have that on a consistent basis means you have to actually train your mind. So to have a growth mindset, over a cup of tea or a glass of wine or dinner with friends is easy. But what happens when stress isn't invited into the environment? Because we're not not getting out of the world of high performance or the world of happiness. High performance living is joy and happiness and peace and grounded and connected. You're not entering into that space without understanding how to work with stress. And so what happens under stress is again, we fray and we blame, and we point, and we try to save ourselves as opposed to be stay connected. So you have to train your mind, mental skills, to be able to have the mindset in life that is going to take you to your potential. And so that's where we started the conversation. And everyone's like, oh, great. Okay, show us. And that's, that's kind of how that works, I think, at least. I love that.
1: So, you know, I talk about, Successful principles of partnerships, and I have mindset in there as one of the key principles. Mm -hmm. Because I believe you need to come to the relationship with a belief, empathy and a belief, that this is ultimately the the relationship, the one plus one equals three or more. The greater good of this partnership is better than us trying to go it alone. And to your point, when stress enters the room, which it invariably does, being able to stay on track with that partnership, not backing off and saying, no, and finger pointing, saying, you know, we would have got that, de- I'm using a business analogy here, but we would have got that deal if it hadn't been for that person not doing what they were supposed to do. Right. But having an empathy for the other, an understanding that this is for the greater good. And and maybe we didn't get it right the first time, but we're going to continue to evolve or iterate until we get it right.
0: Well, and then I would add, there's two parts of that that's interesting. One is there's an invisible handshake in business, same with sport. And that invisible handshake is that we'll do it as long as you produce. We'll do it together as long as you produce. And, you know, it sounds ruthless, but that's I think the truth of how sport works. And if you don't produce in a couple of weeks in elite sport, you might not have a spot. Yeah. Carson Wentz. Let's you know. <laughs> we can, yeah. We can go there. Yeah. But before we go, before we go there for a moment, let's talk about Empathy, right? So it's a beautiful principle. It is awesome. It is great. It is one of the backbone principles at Microsoft, and because it's one of the backbone principles of Satya Nadella, the, the the CEO. Now we have to practice empathy. So a word on a wall actually doesn't change culture, and it doesn't change people. And so that principle needs to be practiced. And so that's where I'm entering conversations like, okay, how do you practice empathy? One. We need awareness. And there's a whole set of practices, mindfulness being, you know, the kind of the, the center of that practice, meditation, if you will, that increases awareness of whether you're being <laughs> critical or empathetic or fill in the blank. And so if you want to practice, step one, we need awareness. Step two, we don't wait for moments to practice empathy. We actually front load the training of it. So this is where many people kind of get it wrong is that they think, and I'm saying this compassionately, is that the wrong approach is saying, here's my principles, when am I gonna practice them? Well, Well, you need to set that. So in sport, we talk about front-loading training. You front-load your physical training before match day. You front-load your technical training before match day. You also front-load your mental training before match day. The same holds true in general life. Front-load your mental training so when you're met in a moment that has demands on it, that you, you know how you want to be, and then you practice, uh, because you've practiced that empathetic skill or awareness skill or confidence skill, that when you're met with some da- demand in the moment, you can be about it. So we practice in calm environments and then you know, work our way up to quote unquote live bullets in life, which is, call that high stress environments. And if you're going to be in, in uh, you know if you want to have a high performance way of living, there's going to be stress involved. There's also stress involved if you're just going to kind of kick up your feet and not know where money's coming from. And there's a different type of stress.
1: So how do you coach that front-loading, for instance, for two organizations working together? How would you think through that?
0: So this is actually what Microsoft, they had the same question. And they're like, okay, so this is working inside of Microsoft. You've, You've helped leadership with the value of training the mind. And then there's been a cascade through the course that you built, the online course that you built and the in-person workshops. Why don't we take, and it's influenced culture. Why don't we take our best practices and share them with our partners? Right. So yeah, I I love that because now (laughs) the partners are going, Hey, how are you guys doing this change that you've gone through at scale? And I don't mean tactical and strategic change, but there's a transformation that's happening from within people. How are you doing that? And there's lots of ways. And one of those ways is like, oh, we're helping people train their mind here. We've got a training course. Would you be interested in, you know, no cost in some respects, you know, just a handoff in those best practices. So I would say in for two partners to align in the value of that mindset matters. And maybe if you go a little bit deeper, you say, I don't like this word, but it's a placeholder for me. Human capital matters the humanness inside the business. The people matter. And here's one of the great things that if you can get alignment there, then you can train. And there's solutions that you can offer people that are systemic and not just principle-based and not just good words that land on walls, but are not expressed on a consistent basis. If you can get people aligned there, then we can do some training. That's how I I think about it.
1: That's actually really great advice. I could spend the rest of the episode here talking about it, in fact, on growth mindset. How about on shared vision? We talked a little bit. That's also fundamental to what I do with the or- with organizations. Oh, cool. Was there any thought in those conversations with Microsoft on it? Because I believe that a shared vision is foundational principle to the successful partnership, like locking arms together. Mm-hmm. We, we're, we're marching forward together, right? And so we need to know what direction we're going. And so what does that direction look like? How do you help organizations here with their compelling vision?
0: Well, it usually begins with leadership and for leadership to have a sense of what the future could look like. And for that to be real and true, it has to light them up. And so it's not just... Necessarily one person that holds the vision, but that person that is the heartbeat of the vision, it has to be true to them. And then there's a consistency because it's so true and it touches them deeply and it's so invigorating of what could be that when they go into rooms, they are talking about it, they are living it, it is clear to them, they are enrolling is not the right word, but they are living with an animated spirit that other people are like, oh, that sounds, I want to be part of that. And then the, the the roommate to that are the core principles that are going to guide you know that's that philosophical personal philosophy there's core principles that are guiding it and then underneath all of that there's strategy and all that good stuff but un, from the humanness part of it underneath that is like listen i'm not saying you should have my philosophy or my vision but when you have a vision and you have a core philosophy about your life and how you want to guide your thoughts, words, and actions, and it maps up to this one, how about it? We're going to get after it. But you can't just borrow my vision and philosophy and make it yours. You have to do the work for you to have yours so that you can authentically say yes or no to the shared vision. I love it. Yeah.
1: I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Visions have to align with one another. Like my vision as a partner might be to grow my business, Mm -hmm. but I'm also going to do it. And I'll use Microsoft as an example. I'm going to do it on top of Microsoft stack. Mm -hmm. And so the the shared vision is I'm working with the Microsoft teams and they're saying, Hey, yeah, your vision helps drive our vision. So then we have a shared vision and how we go,
0: you know, do more good together. That's a partnership. That's a partnership. That's the partnership. You know, if it's a one-way deal where, listen, I'm going to gouge you on price because I can. And uh, good luck. It doesn't feel good. Doesn't really work. There's maybe there's a transactional nature, and some of the some of our business dealings are just that. But it's like it's it's not sustainable, you know. So yeah. So you're you're right on the money with it. And then if when you drop down to the individual level and you do it at scale, we start to see some incredible change that takes place. Where it, this is what happened at Microsoft is that after we would do some work with p- folks, you know, whether it's 200 people in a room or 2000 that take the online course, you know, per week or whatever, is at the end of it, this kind of sentiment would happen. Wow. This is one of the reasons I love working at Microsoft is because yeah. training from the inside out actually helps me in every part of my life. And it's going to definitely show up in in my business life because I feel better. And so that that is one of the, let's call it the gold dust, you know, from doing this internal driven work.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I could speak personally to that. And I've spoken with many other people who have been through your training and they've taken it, they've taken it to their homes. They've taken it throughout their lives, right? It wasn't just something they did
0: at work to make their jobs better. Can we take a moment and put some handles on something, make it really concrete? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So here's one of the practices that I think is fundamental. There's five main factors that I work from. Okay. So self-discovery, psychological skills, calm confidence focus and deep trust of self psychological framework which is optimism control like locus of control meaning that you feel like you're in control of your life and grit so living with passion and perseverance towards your long-term goals recovery mechanisms so sleep getting your sleep right your nutrition right your movement right and then mindfulness so those are the five factors okay. and when we got to wasatya, we'll stay with this theme just for Continuity. When we got to the optimism piece, he's like, Yes, (laughs) because you know what? It is so easy to be the critic. It is so easy to find all the negative stuff. And again, that's because that's how your brain is wired to scan the world and find what's not working, what is a threat or could be a threat. And so he says, Right, let's, again, this is in his book. So I'm not sharing something out of turn here. He says, As a leadership team, let's double down on this. Let's practice training optimism so how do you training
1: do optimism yeah. yeah how do
0: you do it? so why optimism first of all is that because optimism is at the center of mental toughness and mental toughness has a little bit of a funky bad rap to it like just do, grind and do whatever i want to reorganize the way we think about mental toughness mental toughness is closer to resilience which is staying with it when it's hard adjusting and pivoting when it's hard That is what mental toughness is. And I've been fortunate enough across multiple domains to work with some of the best in the world at their craft. I haven't met one yet that is a pessimist. So what is optimism? It's the fundamental belief that it's gonna work out. If I just stay in it longer and I figure it out and we figure it out together, it's gonna work out. And so it doesn't mean it's magical thinking. It doesn't mean it's naive, but it's a fundamental belief that we're gonna know when to cut bait, but for the most part, we've done this pr- front-loaded work for strategy and mission and vision and philosophy and mental skills and physical skills and technical skills, and we've got this work in place. Why would I give up right now, throw in the towel, just because it's not going the way we thought it was gonna go?
1: So optimism is, perse- I mean, I think of perseverance and grit when you're describing
0: optimism. Oh, they're roommates. Yeah, but optimism is its his own individual skill. So optimism is the fundamental belief that it's going to work out. And certainly that is at ground zero for mental toughness, for resilience, for all the things that you just mentioned. So mental tough, I'm sorry, optimism is the training of what could be good. And so at a UPenn, there's a very clear research that we can link to, which is um, at the end of the day, write down three things that you experienced that were amazing. That's it. Just write them down. And you write down a sentence of what you experienced today that was amazing. Like somebody held the door open for you, or you had a great call with somebody. And then in parentheses, you write down the emotional component. What made that special? What made that amazing? And I call it the researcher of amazing. That's just kind of a little fun way to think about it. And that's one of the core practices that Satya and leadership team installed for their meetings is to, share the re- to become researchers of amazing. And It's an awesome practice. The science is really pretty sturdy. And that's something that I think maybe your community, if they started practicing, would find that it's also an inoculation to anxiousness and anxiety. Same with depression.
1: And I think about that in terms of gratitude, right? I go through a personal gratitude exercise every morning, but I don't talk about the why. Like you mentioned that it's not just the item, like, Hey, I had a great cup of coffee. My wife made me a great cup of coffee, but I didn't say why that was so, why I was grateful for what's that. Right? The why what's the emotional,
0: what's the emotional linking to that? You know, it's so you're love. linking it up. Yeah, yeah. Love or gratitude or something, you know, like a connected kindness. Yeah.
1: Maybe every business meeting, like I think about from a partnership perspective, I'll translate it here is like, we start every business meeting discussing maybe three things about the partnership that are really great or three success stories and
0: why they were important to us.
1: Could you translate it there?
0: Yeah. Or I would maybe even start with one or two, work your way up to three. But here's the deal. It has to be real. It can't be like manufactured. It has to be real. And that's where you anchor optimism into like a, a concreteness rather than this Doe wide. Hey, everything's going to work out. I know we just spent three hundred thousand dollars on this campaign, and we haven't made any money yet. And eh, it's going to all. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like we got to anchor some stuff in reality, so that <laughs> it's just not fake. You know, like fake naive optimism is incredibly dangerous. And so it's not making that mistake, but so it's anchoring it in something that is true.
1: So what about when we? Unlock arms like the partnership isn't going well, we start to go astray. How would you coach either an organization or individuals
0: around that? I would hope if you're doing this right, it's not a surprise. So, there's conversations because you're holding the other person and the other group of people, call it a partnership, with integrity, and you are coming from a place that of high regard for what we agreed to, even the, like towards the end of of partnerships, there usually is some tension because it's not going the way that we hoped. And there might be some sort of unforeseen events that have taken place or we overestimated skills and abilities or overestimated market, you know, value. And so it's not going according to plan. There's some tension involved in it. Hopefully there's no surprise. You've been working your way to it so that you can look to another person and say, I think we're at that crossroad. You know, I'm wishing you guys the flat out best and I'm sorry this isn't working anymore. And I wish it wasn't the case. How can we detangle in the best possible way? And I want to support you from a distance. And right now, though, I can't continue to keep investing in the way that we've been doing it. Damn, we're close. Yeah, something like that. Yeah.
1: And here's the other thing, too. I think before you get there, if you're identifying, if you're being transparent and you're sharing and you're having the conversation, like, what's blocking success? Like, I talk about, you know, these are our objectives. These are our key results. Like, okay, what are the blockers? Why aren't we getting to our results?
0: I would add to that, Vento, I would say, in your practice of blockers, yes, and I say and, add the accelerants. So what are the skills and what are the practices that are accelerating our partnership? And if you have both of those on a regular basis, it's a more complete model. And let me just give you a framework that I found to be incredibly useful for working with individuals that are best in the world, is that when I look at their psychological skills and. Whether it's written or it's in my mind, because we're working in real time, and I'm, I'm I've got an index of all of the skills. Call it the capabilities of the other person, right? But I'm just looking at the psychological capabilities, and we could do it technical or physical; it doesn't matter. And then let's break them up into thirds: the top third skills and capabilities, middle third, and bottom third. So bottom third they're struggling with, okay? And the middle is interesting; there it's okay, but there's some penetrability there that you know could be a liability. But the upper ones, like they're great at them. We don't need to sharpen just the upper ones because they're already kind of doing what, you know, is, is working for them. We don't want to focus on the bottom third. You say, why is that? Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. When you focus on the bottom third, something interesting happens is that we start to hyper-focus on all the things that are not working. So then Uh. we build the sub-narrative and that sub-narrative is things are not working. I'm not good at them. I'm not getting the return I want. And we start to create a, again, a secondary model that Maybe I don't have what it takes to get better. Maybe this won't work out because we're just hyper focusing on growing a skill that we're we actually are materially not good at. So where do we go? We go to that middle and I start with the the true middle and then I work onto the lower of the middle. And so the true middle is to get some momentum. Like, oh, look, oh my God, that's a capability I can get better at. Let's call it optimism. Let's call it confidence. Let's call it whatever On the mental side, Oh, look, I can practice. Oh, wow, I'm seeing some return. This, Great. What else you got, Doc? <laughs> and then we go to the lower of the middle. And so as you
1: get stronger, you you're going after the harder to reach. That's it. Exactly oh, it. Yeah.
0: Early momentum, early wins. Start there, as opposed to identifying all the things like the the weak link in the chain. Start with the unsturdy link in the chain. S- shore that thing up. And that's a philosophical approach to helping people and organizations get better. Uh, It doesn't mean it's the only way, but i found when it comes to an internal narrative that we want people to have is that I can do more. There is more in me. And if I start with some early wins, I'm more likely to go down that path, double down.
1: I just love this, Michael. This is gonna be so applicable to my business and coaching. So thank you for sharing this with our listeners. Of course. You know, we haven't talked about where we are right now in this world, right? We're living in a time like no other, and I was wondering from your perspective, what has this time been like, and what are the biggest maybe surprises or learnings you've had since this pandemic started?
0: There's a really unique constellation that's taking place, and we are living right now in many respects in the most amazing social experiment that's ever taken place in our lifetime for sure, which is we've got incredible tension that is taking place in people's way of living and we've got a political divide we have a pandemic that is changing the way people operate from a day-to-day basis there's a financial crisis that we are teetering on some we, 54 million people just the other day were reported to be go to bed hungry and wow. we also have a racial narrative that's at the center of our discourse which rightfully so is uh, needs to be solved And so for me, it's an awakening in many respects. It is, I am, what's the right word? I am, well, let me make a statement and then I'll try to get this tonal word right, is that I'm excited that psychology is reaching the front of the narrative and conversations because change is not gonna happen unless psychology happens first. Any revolution that we want, Vince, needs to start with the psychological internal revolution first. And so that's important, but it's coming on the heels of pain. But yes. here's what I know is that the reason people change is because of pain. The way that we grow is through uncomfortableness. So, pain is one of the great catalysts for change. We are feeling it from a national, global perspective. There's pain that's taking place. So, I feel it myself. My business has been affected, and I'm trying to pivot and adjust. Uh, to my best abilities to continue to make the commitment to the employees that have trusted our shared vision, to the commitment to our partners that believe in us to be able to help them be better. And, you know, I'm working 16 hour days, you know, and, and that's just kind of the nature of it right now. So I am heart full with the pain that people are experiencing. And I'm hopeful that through psychology, we are going to help healing and then move us to our potential which is this high performing nature of our our ourselves and our community and our nation and maybe the global rhythm of the world so we need some help now and we have abandoned and disregarded the psychology of the human experience for far too long there's been a stigma that it is for the weak and right now we have the extraordinaries in sport and business raising their hand to say no psychology is at the epicenter and I'm yep. practicing, I'm training, I'm investing, and I hope you will too. So that's 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 the exciting part of it.
1: You know, I'm maybe it's the optimism in me. I feel like this is, in many respects, such an uncertain, but such a potentially altering time in terms of we're, we're gonna come out of this. I believe we're gonna come out of this a better, stronger. And maybe it's the leadership we're seeing. Maybe it's the change. And maybe it's the psychology, to your point, that we have this opportunity now.
0: And I definitely think that, you are going to make a difference in your community from that approach and so whether we're able to collectively do it or not there are people that can swallow their ability to create change in their environment and when you swallow that responsibility and then invest in the skills the psychological skills to be about it then we create change and there's only three things that we can train as humans vince we can train our craft we can train our body and we can train our mind. The best of the best of the best are not leaving one of those three up to chance. So why should we?
1: Yeah, really, really insightful advice there. So, Michael, what is keeping you up at night? Like, what are you working through?
0: Adjustments that are being made for for my businesses are, um, un, you know, I would never have predicted that these would be the adjustments we were making in 2020. So, what's keeping me up at night is making sure that I'm making smart decisions to first and foremost, stay true to the shared vision that I have with my partners. And those partners include the employees that have have trusted that we can do something special together. And their livelihoods are on the line as well. So what keeps me up at night is making sure that we're spending our resources properly, and we are making informed, intelligent decisions to be able to take advantage of opportunities, but also not over-index and over-leverage our resources. And so that's a that's the entrepreneur's dilemma, and I'm in it right now. Like I'm not sitting on seed money. I'm looking for partners that say, "Hey, I want my people to have a sense of internal freedom. I want my people to be able to live in the present moment more often. I want to help my people have less anxiety, and so that we can get to that good stuff that we have committed to together. And I want my people to understand how to train their mind. Those are the partners I'm looking for, and to be invest invested in them properly is the entrepreneur you know, spirit of this. So that's what keeps you up at night. And it's the commitment to others. So
1: if you had a billboard, we've talked about personal philosophy here. We ha- I haven't asked you about yours, but maybe this will come out in this question. If you had a personal billboard that you could project a message to the world, and maybe it is your personal philosophy, but maybe it's not, what would you say
0: on it? It's a really tough question, isn't it? you know, I'd want to run a campaign more than just one billboard. But if I'm I'm limited (laughs) to one billboard, I would love to just start with, you know, sharing everything you need is already inside you. I love that. You know, I would start there. There's hope, there's curiosity about it. And there's a sense of volitional control that's that's connected there. And then I'm ping ponging in my head right now as I'm talking, because I'd also want to say, Here's my personal philosophy and I'm not sure if it really resonates as a billboard though is that here it is is that every day is an opportunity to create a living masterpiece and I think that that doesn't meet a billboard because it needs some explaining I can shorthand it cuz I know what that means every day meaning the rest of my life is an opportunity and it also means now every day means now is an opportunity there's optimism To create, I think that the creative approach to life is one of the highest orders, the artistic nature of life, meaning that you understand form and structure and you're breaking form and structure to create something new and beautiful and amazing that's true. So every day is an opportunity to create a living masterpiece. And then a living masterpiece is left up to interpretation. For me, it's about moving to the edges of my capability and still holding true to first principles that is what a living masterpiece is for me. Getting right to the edges, getting on the frontier of where I'm not quite proficient, but I'm learning, I'm lit up, I'm animated by it, and I'm holding true to first principles. So every day is an opportunity to create a living masterpiece. I don't think that translates though on a billboard. So maybe it's something more more eloquent, like everything you need is already inside you.
1: Everything you need is already inside you is to me, when you say that to me is an uplifting statement. Like it makes me feel whole. Like when
0: I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's very cool. What is
1: yours? What would you put up? So my personal philosophy
0: and or billboard, whatever, wherever you want to play,
1: uplift others. There you go. Uplift others. Like I feel like, especially in this time, I've become like, I'm crystallized around how can I be a bold inspiration, uplift others and create a legacy. That's how I think through my world right
0: now. You know, I, this uplift others, like kind of sits at the helper in you. And I was in graduate school, hadn't yet earned my PhD. One of my mentors, you know, went around the room. It's, uh, you know, PhD programs are kind of small. So there's just a handful of us. And he says, he says, so you guys want to help others? And everyone's kind of like doe-eyed like, yeah. And he says, um, what gives you the right? And then he looks right at me and he goes, Gervais, what gives you the right to help someone? You think you can help someone in their life? I was like, oh my God, he's looking right. He knows. He knows that I don't know what I know. He knows that i I barely know how to help my own life. Oh my God, he knows that I'm. I'm a bit of an imposter, and so he's looking right into me. That's that's like the over kind of sensitive nature. That that's a true statement for all of us. And yeah. so so he says, all right, answer that question, Mike. What gives you the right? I said. I said, Doc, I don't. I don't know. You you just kind of got me there. Like I don't know, but I do know. That i want to work t- to figure out how to help people like i don't know and he goes are you doing the work yourself i go what do you mean he says are you sitting in, you know on a pillow meditating are you this is 20 some years ago that's when i first got introduced to it as said, i go no and he says are you going to therapy are you doing that internal deep discovery work i said no he says get going on both and then answer the question i was like oh man i just got spanked down but it's so good like what gives? Us the right to think we can help someone. Well, I don't. I still don't know how to answer that. I'm doing the work, <laughs> you know. I'm still doing the self recovery I'm still, you know, kind of sitting myself into a, a therapeutic relationship on a regular basis. And I would share that with you out of my humility. Like I got smacked down when I said that out loud. For a, yeah. <laughs> well, you
1: know, and I'm saying that now because I've actually gone back and I'm doing. I'm listening again to your compete to create after listening to it when it first came out in, I guess, July. Oh, the book, and the audio book. The audio book. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I'm going back and going, well, maybe my personal philosophy isn't what it used to be. And I got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still working on it a little bit. And I'm also going through some of the training, like, okay, mindfulness, I need to work on this. I don't do, I don't have a great meditation, a practice that I do. Like I got to do at least the one minute. I got to go back to doing the one minute. Come on,
0: let's go, Vince. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Hey, Vince, can I do this for you? Can I, now that you're in the book and you're doing that, that's cool. But can I give you, and maybe two of your listeners, can we do... A little fun, maybe competition. You know how much I love competition and competition. I love, yeah, it's not standing over someone celebrating their weaknesses. It's like you and I working together to find our very best. Is that maybe we have a little competition in your community where we give away two courses and it's that, you know, week course that I'm talking about the eight week course. You could finish it in four if you wanted to be really kind of progressive. But can we give that away in some sort of social competition where people like tag you, tag me, tag Finding Mastery on Instagram and whatever. And then we go and if they just write, I'm spitballing with you a little bit, but if they, it's a $500 course. I want to give two away to your, your people. If they just say why they want to invest in their inner life.
1: I love that. Yeah. Let's, we're going to do that. Let's do we're going to post that. Okay. All right. Let's do that. When people listen to this, they'll know, but we're also going to post it on LinkedIn and Twitter. We'll, we'll figure out a way to do this after we're done today.
0: Oh, that's fun. And, yeah.
1: And then we're going to put some links to some of this great material and conversation. I am going to ask you one more question. I I recognize how valuable your time is. And this has been a great conversation. I wish I could spend the entire day with you, Michael, if we could, even though we're on different coasts right now, but both near the beach.
0: (laughs) I've enjoyed this conversation too. So thank you.
1: Me too. It's been great. So what if you were having a dinner right now? You You were able to invite some guests. It wasn't COVID. And you can invite any three guests, present or from the past to attend this amazing dinner, maybe it's going to be on the beach in the LA region or someplace else, who would you invite to
0: that dinner and why? Oh man, it's so good. Okay, so let me play. I'm going to give you the categories first. Somebody who fundamentally changed the world from a spiritual perspective, like this inner dimension about life's big questions. I'm going to bring somebody in who was an absolute artistic full commitment to game-changing craft, you know, and I'm going to bring somebody in and I'm going to give you names in a minute. And I'm going to bring somebody in that just was a bit of a disruptor, you know, from a global perspective. So, so then I go through, okay, from the spiritual framework, am I bringing in, who am I bringing in? I got to bring in Jesus. Okay. So I'd like to bring in Buddha's pretty damn, you know, like, like, wow. Confucius, he has some stuff now too. Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism, it's a you know, like man, but I want to bring in Jesus for just to kind of feel that that vibe that he possessed within him that changed the world more so than than almost any other religion. And I do have a challenge. I have a real challenge with religious structure, dogma. I have a real challenge. I was spoon-fed Catholic, and I have I have an incredible problem with the way that the formal structure has treated boys and children and women
1: yeah same here
0: and so um so but what what i'm saying is like i want to i just want to be around that you know and so the trinity is amazing and the capture the living with the holy the animation of a spirit i'm about that so right now i'm like okay let's go with jesus and then i think Leonardo da vinci so you know what i like Leonardo obviously he created so much one of the great inventors of the world But he was gay. We think, and then at the cost of death, he still was true to, you know, loving other men intimately. And I'm like, damn, that's principle based. Like, what you know, that's a badass. You know, so like, I want to be around that too. And then, and then when I think about like the art, you know, he could certainly sit in that art piece. But he was so disruptive in so many ways that, as an inventor, I'm compelled by that because he saw things that were not imagined yet. And then I think I'm bringing in Jimi Hendrix, right? Somebody that is like, or Bob Marley, one of those two that was like, hey, listen, I feel something and I can express it through voice. I can express it through an instrument. And you know what? The rules of society, uh, (laughs) you know, you should check those, you know, because there's something rock and roll. There's something, you know, reggae about the structure that is, Disruptive, you know the way that they lived. So I think that right now those are the three that if we had dinner tonight, and then I'm bringing you to say, you know, let let's do this together. You know, like in honor of your question, let let's have a dinner party.
1: I love it. And I was going to ask you if I could join the dinner. I mean, look at those amazing guests: Jesus, Leonardo da Vinci. I think we're going to have room for four. We have to have both Jimi Hendrix <laughs> and Bob Marley. <laughs> yeah. Like I can't just pick one. I mean, they're come on. Yeah, that's they, can, jam, they can and they can jam a little bit together. be cool. kind of. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That is so awesome. Ask you one more question mm. and the books that you've read and gifted often, you talk about one of them in the Audible book, but I'm just curious if there's one particular book that like sits on top for you that you think about that you reference that maybe you gift or you recommend to our listeners.
0: Yeah. Man's Search for Meaning, uh Viktor Frankl is a game changer. And so it, especially the first half of that book. I think the first half of that book is it's just so good, you know. And then I'm more interested in the books like that's that have stood up over time as opposed to some really good reads that I've read lately that are fun and 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 so digestible that they're they're good. But the ones I want to share are the ones that have stood up over time. So man search for meaning, you know, that, that stood up for you know a couple decades that I think is is a, right on the pulse of things. And then the books that I like giving, it's going to sound weird, but I like giving out the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita. I like giving out Lao Tzu, the Tao Te Ching. They are both beautifully complicated stories and parables about wrestling with the deep questions in life. And so I think that those are really amazing. And then if we lighten it up a little bit, I'm fascinated by Mother Teresa. I think that her commitment to breaking the rules and the rule was don't touch people that are like have leprosy and don't go don't go to those environments because you're going to contract something you know that is unhealthy but she's like no listen i'm gonna be in service of all people and she was probably the most famous woman without a pr firm she just did the work and it was counterculture you know in service of others so i'm fascinated by her and so anything that kind of touches her her biography and her essence, I think is really cool. And then I'm looking at my bookshelf right now to see kind of what grabs my attention, but those are, those are some big kind of heavy ones. And uh, those are, yeah, but also I would do a uh, more light. Like I do Tom Sawyer. I think it's just <laughs> Tom Sawyer. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just so well-written and stood up for those ages. And Tom Sawyer is like a interesting Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. Like if you probably haven't read that since like high school or whatever, but I was—I was I starting was to think when it was probably eighth grade. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. So I think, that, yeah, that, I like, I love, I'm reading it right now, rereading it right now. So it's top of mind for me.
1: We're going to put links to all of these books in our show notes, and "Man Search for Meaning" is also one of my all-time. In fact, I've come back to it now because of this time that we're in. Right? I can't. We can't equate this to what he went through, uh, Victor Frankl, Dr. Victor Frankel went through. But in some respects, we've all had to deal with uncertainty. Just you know, having to come through this time.
0: Yeah, there you so, go. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And here's another. If you're just going to do links, here's a fun Bruce Lee. I'm looking at my shelf. Bruce Lee, the artist of life. Cool. You know, kind of gets right to the center. Zen and the art of the motorcycle maintenance is really cool. And any book by John Cabot Zen, and any book by Tick Not Han. I just can't quite get enough of those two. I think they're so compelling.
1: I love this. Michael, you have been such an amazing guest today. Oh, please. I can't wait to share this with the world. I want to thank you again for your time, for making time to join us. Are there any closing comments or advice
0: you have for our listeners? I want to say first, thank you for creating the space for me to jam and riff on things that I've, you know, I've been thinking about for the last two and a half decades. Um, And so thank you for creating the space to share. And, uh, I don't really love advice because I haven't lived in the shoes of the other. So what I like to do is just remind people that everything that they need is already inside them. So that the path of mastery is really about committing to learning. It's the goal is the path and to do it in an accelerated clip and hold yourself with dignity and others with regard as well is kind of that internal approach to like figuring it out as opposed to figuring out for some other end game. So everything that people need is already inside them. Start there, get their breathing right, get their meditation practice right, get your sleep right. If you can't get your sleep right, get your nutrition right. You can't get your sleep and nutrition right. At least make sure you got your thinking game right. Investing in optimism, investing in a deep commitment to the present moment. And then I'm gonna circle back around, get your breathing right, get your sleep right. You know, Keep working on those. And what sits underneath all of that? Is your personal philosophy your purpose of life? And write those things down. And then, if if that feels like overwhelming, like what the hell? That's why we created the course because it feels a bit that way. And so, hopefully, we can drive people there and drive people to the Finding Mastery podcast for a little bit more of these types of conversations with other bright minds. Um, So, you know, thank you. Thank you, Michael. So appreciate you. As with each
1: of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform. Like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at VinceM at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com.